Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. All right, how many of you have ever been around uh, ignorance? Somebody or something that just is ignorant completely. Um, Maybe some of you experienced that in parking lots. People driving around, my, my kids get a kick out of me because that's the place probably more than anywhere where I'm yelling at people is in parking lots. Like, why can't you drive? Um, but last night I was, I was talking to my girls. I was trying to get, I was, you know, was kind of trying to get a sermon together. And so I'm like, hey, you guys got any stories about being ignorant? And then I had to explain to them what ignorance was. And they're like, oh, yeah. And so my daughters, Abby and Cameron, my two oldest, 12 years, 10 years old, and then my, my next daughter, oldest daughter, Sadie, she's seven, my two oldest started telling me the story about what they had just done. So they, they went outside, and they were playing in the backyard last night after it snowed, and they're having fun doing all this stuff. Well, they decided to, we've got this fenced-in area, and there's, there's doors to this fence, but for some reason, they decided that they wanted to climb the fence to get out into the rest of the yard. I don't know why they wanted to climb it, but that's what kids do. They do weird things. And so Sadie goes first, seven years old, and she climbs up over this fence like it's nothing. Just, you should see this girl climb. It's crazy. Uh, actually terrifies me sometimes. But just gets over, no big problem. My 12-year-old then decides, I'm, I'm going to climb over it too. And she starts climbing over it. and uh, Not quite as good at it as my younger daughter. And she gets up, and she said she got her one foot up over the, the thing, and it just got stuck there. And she, she had nowhere to go. Com- completely ignorant when it comes to climbing. I don't know how she got down, but she eventually did. And then Cameron, she's like, she's this sporty little thing. She decides, okay, I'm going to climb this fence. And she gets up on the fence, and she's about to get over it, and then she gets caught somehow, some way, and she's just up there flailing, like, get me, get me down. And Sadie's probably laughing at him the whole time, because that's, if you don't know my daughter Sadie, that's Sadie. And they're just laughing at themselves, because, like, Dad, we were completely ignorant. Our little sister was better than us. But I found out that you can do things, you can get teenagers to do stupid stuff. Um, there's, this is, I'm about to show you one of my favorite all-time videos. And this is a video of a kid that used to be in my youth group. And we we're coming out of a Walmart. And it reminds me of what my daughters were saying last night. There's these pillars, at, at least up in Minocqua, there's these pillars outside of Walmart. And I think that they're there to stop people from driving into pedestrians. Well, they're kind of high. And he's like, I, got, I can get that. I'm like, you cannot jump that. So I totally can. And th- this is actually what transpired. You got this, buddy. All right, total ignorance. Kid thinks he can do it, and he cannot do it. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, the reason that I, I'm so mad that I cut away, because I, like, missed the very end of the fall, but I think I cut away because I actually, there was this thing in my brain that goes, stop videotaping because you might get sued. And so that's why the video camera went down there, but... We're ignorant people. We do dumb stuff. The other, there was a couple of years ago, I was out on a bike ride, and I was near, I, I was right near Palmer Park, and I was coming up to a stop on the, on the trail, and all of a sudden, I see this fox coming right in front of me, like 20 feet, and I don't, I'm from the Northwoods. If you see a fox where it's not supposed to be like that, the first thing that you think of is like, rabies, and you're like, I'm going to die. And so I'm like, I'm just going to back away. Maybe foxes don't have rabies. I don't know. But I, I'm just like, I'm going to back away from this thing. The lady 
stopped at the stoplight. I think she was following the fox for a while. And she rolls down her window. She's like, hey, could you go and chase that fox back into the woods? I'm like, no, get yourself out of your car and you go chase it out in the woods. I'm not doing that. You've got the car. Drive at it or something. And so when I, didn't, when I said to the lady, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. She gave me this attitude like, oh, I can't believe that. Like I was a bad person for not chasing after a fox on my bike. Couldn't believe it. Ignorance. Complete ignorance. And we come, we come across it all the time. And I want to say this. I think that ignorance is one of the things that gets us into more trouble than anything else. Ignorance is what causes people to get killed by wild animals, doing stupid things. Ignorance causes us financial ruin. Ignorance causes us relational problems. I think that ignorance causes us um, a lot of the, the prejudices and the racism and the hatred that we see around us. It's ignorance. And so this month we're talking about this idea of resolve, resolving to do certain things as the new year started. It's always a, a good time to kind of reflect on that. And so today I want us to talk about resolving ourselves to living a useful life. What does a useful life look for, look like? What, how can we resolve ourselves to that? So what we're going to do is we're going to look into um, a letter that a guy in the Bible wrote to a church. And the letter is found in the book of Revelation. And the writer was John. And at the beginning of Revelation, I'm going to be honest with you, the book of Revelation is the toughest book in the Bible for me to read. It's tougher than Deuteronomy and some of it. Like, I read it, and actually I'm in the middle of it right now because I try to read through the New Testament a whole year, and I was a little slow on it last year. So I'm finishing up Revelation right now, and it is just, it's hard to get through. It's hard to understand anything. But I will say this. At the beginning of the book, there's these seven letters to the churches that John writes, and they are fascinating. They talk about the struggles that those churches were going to that he was writing to, and those struggles are the same kind of struggles that you and I face. And John is not speaking these words himself. The Holy Spirit is doing, I think, kind of a, the same type of thing that happened with Paul when he was on the road to Damascus and this bright light shone and Jesus started speaking to Paul. I think that kind of thing is going on with John. The Holy Spirit is speaking things to John. And Jesus is, his words are coming alive in John's heart. And so he, he pens this letter. And this letter we're going to read today is to the church in a city called Laodicea. It comes from Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22. And it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich with, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, I want to remind you, this is not John himself that's, that's speaking these words 
to this church in Laodicea. It's Jesus that is speaking these words, and he's trying to get them to understand some things. And I think through this church, he's also trying to help us as modern-day Christians to see these same kinds of things. Okay, so there's there's maybe three particular things that we're going to go through this morning, uh, things that I think we can see in our own lives that Jesus is trying to speak to this church in Laodicea. The The first one's this. Jesus wants to make you useful. Jesus wants to make you useful. It says in Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You hear that? You're neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You are lukewarm. When I was reading this all of my life, I think, growing up and... um, I always, I always thought of this lukewarm thing as Jesus was saying, if you're lukewarm in your spirituality, you're, you just don't, you're just kind of there. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'd rather you be cold spiritually. That's what I've always felt like it was saying. And I think most Christians, when they hear this lukewarm Christian thing, that's the way we think about it. Um, but I don't think he's talking about our spiritual life in that kind of way, being hot or cold. Um, would I ever go to my kid and say to my kid, hey, I want you to, I want you to be either cold or hot in your, in your academics, in your studying. Don't just, you know, don't just study a little bit. I'd rather you either study not at all or a ton. That's, a, that's a, like a dumb thing for a parent to say, right? We would never say, I want you to just, I want you to, I'd rather you do nothing than just kind of be there. And Jesus is not saying that for us on a spiritual level. What he's actually talking about here is he's talking about our usefulness. He wants the church in Laodicea, the people in that church, to be useful. Um, about seven miles away from this city of Laodicea, there was another city called Hierapolis. And as I was kind of studying through some stuff on Friday, and something hit me that I've never heard this before. It was super cool. In Hierapolis, there were hot springs, natural hot springs in that city. And when Jesus, talk, when Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to be either hot or cold, this is what's coming to mind for the Laodiceans, these hot springs in Hierapolis. Just 10 miles away from Laodicea, there's another city called Colossae. And in Colossae, they had amazingly cold, fresh water wells to drink from. They had this amazing cold water drink. But then in Laodicea, Laodicea is an incredibly wealthy city. They're rich. They got all kinds of stuff. But their water supply was awful. It was a lukewarm water supply. And actually, if you would drink it, it would actually induce you to vomiting. And when you you hear that, that makes this passage seem a lot different. Jesus is, is getting this idea in their brain that I want you to be useful just like that, those hot water springs in Hierapolis, are, are, they're awesome. I don't know if you've ever watched, um, there's a show called Man vs. Wild, but there's one of those shows where he, he gets out into the mountains and he's in this cold area and he finds some hot springs from, from volcanic stuff. And he just, like he normally does on that show, he just gets naked and he gets in the hot springs and it's awesome. But hot springs have some value to them. Cold water has value to us, but this lukewarm water that would make you want to vomit It was not useful at all. Jesus is simply saying, I want you to be useful. 
D.L. Moody says, our greatest fear should not be a fear of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Think of how much we, we want to succeed at stuff that doesn't matter. We, we fear failure. I am, I am so competitive that back, back when I used to play basketball with people, I'd go into like an early morning gym basketball thing, and I, it was like, you'd think the way I acted with it, it was like it was the NBA finals or something. Or I'd play ping pong with people, and it was like, I thought I was in the Olympics. I had to, to win it. We're, we get so concentrated on things that just don't matter. We scroll through a social media feed, looking at comment after comment after comment, and it doesn't matter. And Jesus is trying to say, I want you to be useful. So much of what do we care about, it would, it would kind of come down into that useless category. But Jesus wants us to be useful. So what is useful? I think there's one thing in particular that comes to my mind when I think about how Jesus wants us to be useful. Jesus wants us to bring him glory in everything that we do. You know, we talk about at Central a lot that our goal is to know Jesus and to make him known. That is the one place of usefulness that we have in this world. God is asking us to be people that are constantly bringing glory to his name. But so much of the time, we get concentrated on other things. Other things sidetrack us. And making Jesus known, it's, it's not the thing that's in the forefront of our mind. We become like this lukewarm water that, oh man, it just, it, it's just not getting anything done. When we don't bring glory to Jesus, I think what happens is we actually, more likely, we end up harming the name of Jesus more than doing the name of Jesus good. If I'm not bringing glory to Jesus, a lot of the times what's happening is I'm probably bringing glory to myself. And when it comes to, to shining the light on Jesus, that does the opposite thing of what we're trying to do. So Jesus wants to help us. He wants to make us more useful. How does he want to do that? I think one of the greatest threats to our usefulness for Jesus is ignorance. That's why we were talking about ignorance earlier. Uh, the writer here, John, is hearing words from Jesus, and Jesus is essentially telling this church, you right now are ignorant. Revelation 3.17 says, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize. Get that? You do not realize. You're ignorant of this. You do not realize that you are wretched, you are pitiful, you are poor, and you are blind and naked. See, the real problem with this church, a lot of the time I think that we have thought the real problem for most Christians is indifference. We just, we don't care. I'm telling you what, we know, if you're a Christian, you've, you've bought into the idea that Jesus died for your sins. You believe that Jesus went to a cross. You believe he rose from the dead. It's not indifference, I think, that is our problem. It's ignorance. We ignore what the cross and the resurrection was all about. If I had the cross and the resurrection before me at all times, and I was seeing it replayed in my mind over and over, everything that Jesus has done for me, I don't think that we would live in a way where we are not useful to God, where we are not bringing glory to his name. But what happens is we start to turn away from what we know. We ignore what we know. We are ignorant. And then what happens is, after a time, all of a sudden we realize that my spiritual condition is not in a good place. We misread our spiritual condition all the time. That's what, that's what the people in Laodicea were doing. 
Man, they thought they had everything. They were rich. They were wealthy. They were self-sufficient. But that didn't, that didn't matter at all when it came to their spiritual well-being. They were pitifully wretched, as Jesus was telling them. We ultimately run the risk of being lukewarm Christians when we don't know the depth and the goodness of what Jesus has done for us, but also of his character. See, I don't think it's our laziness that's the problem most of the time. The fact is, is we just turn away and we ignore. We ignore the things of God. So here's, a, here's another point that I think Jesus brings us to as he's, write, as he's talking about this letter that he wants John to write. When you are daily brought out of your ignorance, you can daily live in heartfelt repentance, which will bring glory to God. I'm going to read that one more time. When you are daily brought out of your ignorance, you can daily live in a heartfelt repentance, which will bring glory to God. Revelation 3.19 says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Those I love, I rebuke and I discipline. I teach. Jesus wants to teach us. He wants to teach us and in turn for us to repent and to understand what he's, what he's calling us to in this world. But we need a constant, constant rebuking from him. We need a constant way of him being able to discipline us. Because a lot of times what happens is we turn away for one second and it's like we just forget everything that God has shown us. Um, I was talking about this with the youth group a few weeks back, but uh, when I was a kid, I would take tests. And when I would take tests, it would be, man, I'd be nervous for weeks beforehand. It was a big test. Nervous like crazy, and, and I'm studying a lot. I can't sleep at night. Just nervous. I get to the test, and I'd be like, man, is this a number three pencil? I need to have a number two. And, you know, just thinking through all kinds of stuff. You're nervous. Stomach churning. I feel like everybody can hear my stomach churning because it's really quiet. They're going to think I got gas and all this stuff. And then the test gets done, and I hand in the paper, and what happens? All the nerves are gone. Like, I ain't worried about one bit. I could be sitting there, man, I totally failed that test. But the moment that I hand the test in, something would click in my brain, and I would... I'd, I wouldn't care one bit about it until that day that the test came back. I would ignore it. I'd become ignorant of the grade. And I think that we actually do that in our relationship with God at times. We, we've got, we're so, we're so into our relationship with God. We're so into what he wants us to do. And then we get to this point where it's like, I'm good. I can breathe. I can relax. And we kind of turn our eyes from from everything that God has been asking out of us and everything that we've been doing to grow in a relationship with God. And we turn away, and all of a sudden, it's just like we're ignorant of it. It's not even there. We need to get to the place where building a relationship with Jesus becomes the most important thing. We're growing in intimacy with Jesus is the most important thing. And I think there's things that we can resolve to do in order to know Jesus more deeply. Um, and sometimes we call these things disciplines. And I'm going to be honest, I hate that we use that term because I think that the idea of disciplines has a, a bad connotation with it. When I was in college, man, I would, I'd read my Bible and 
it was my reading my Bible that I felt like was the thing that made me right with God. Like, that's good. I'm, I'm a good Christian. And that's the problem is we do mix that up sometimes. That doing things for God is the, is the, the ticket, but it's actually doing things to help us understand who Jesus more, is more. It's doing things so that we can actually see who Jesus is. Disciplines are important, but they're not they're only important in the context of knowing Jesus more. And there's two statements that I have here that I want to talk about about disciplines here that um, I think will give us some, a, a good way of looking at this idea of self-discipline. The first one I made up. Somebody might have said it before. I'm sure somebody has, but I thought it was good enough, so I'm going to use it, okay? This is what it is. Self-discipline is for my sake, not for God's sake. It's really important that we get to understand that me doing things to get to know Jesus more, it's not so that God will be happy with me. It's so that I can, it's for my sake. I want to know God more. People do this in relationships all the time. We, you know, as a married couple, you, ha- you have this status of being husband and wife. And there's nothing that I can do that can make that status better or worse. My wife is my wife. Um, but sometimes... You know, if it, sometimes I might do the dishes to try to get my wife to be more happy with me. That's the wrong idea. I should do the dishes so that my sink doesn't stink. Right? Like, that's the real reason that I do dishes. Same thing with disciplines, spiritual disciplines. I do spiritual disciplines so that my spirit doesn't stink, not so that God is happy with me. And sometimes we get that mixed up. It's all about intimacy. Do you want to have intimacy with the one who who created you? Jesus has already done everything that we needed him to do to be accepted by God. That's not the question anymore. The question is, do I want intimacy with the one that I love, with the one who created me? And the truth is, we are never going to have intimacy in this life without us putting forth a little bit of effort. Are you okay with just being a child of God, or do you want intimacy with the one who created you. It's going to take a little bit of effort. The second, uh, the second thing that I found um, about self-discipline that I thought was really good, I was listening to a podcast by Craig Rochelle. He's a great pastor, a uh, great leadership guy. And he says this, you can choose the pain of discipline or you can choose the pain of regret. You can choose the pain of discipline or you can choose the pain of regret. And I wonder how many marriages have maybe chosen the pain of regret rather than the pain of disciplining themselves to spend time with each other to grow in intimacy? How many students have chosen the pain of regret rather than the pain of discipline studying for their tests? How many builders have chosen the pain of regret rather than the the discipline of not cutting corners, of using good materials as they build? Think of how many Christians at the end of their lives They get to the end of their lives only to realize that they had chosen the path of regret rather than the path of discipline where they will know their their, their creator with intimacy. I don't think any of us wants to find ourselves at that place at the end of our lives where we are living a non-intimate kind of relationship with God. So the question is, how can I grow in the depth of my understanding, the depth of my love for Jesus, the depth of understanding his character. I think there's a lot of things that we can do, but I want to just really quick 
three quick things that we can resolve to do, that we can do at any time to grow our understanding of Jesus, to know Jesus better. First thing is this. Resolve yourself to read the Bible to know Jesus better. See, I'm not just saying read your Bible. Too much of the time we say to people, you got to read your Bible. How can I be a good Christian? Read your Bible. Read your Bible to know Jesus better. See, the whole Bible is about Jesus. That's what it's all about. And without Jesus, it, the whole thing just is kind of pointless. I want you to think about this. When it comes to your kids or to a new believer in the faith, what would you rather be able to say about them? Man, I'm so glad that they're getting to know the Bible so well. Or would you rather be able to say, I'm so glad that they're getting to know Jesus well. I want to resolve to read my Bible for a purpose, to know Jesus better. There needs to be a point in it. If reading my Bible can help me get there, awesome. I want to get there. Uh, but I want to, uh, kind of a point 1B right here. I also want to tell us, take time to read other authors who are good news-centered, who are gospel-centered people. Sometimes it is hard for us to get anything about Jesus, to learn about God when we read the Bible because our mind isn't just, is just in there. It's just not speaking to us. Sometimes we need a teacher. And it comes in the form of other books. C.S. Lewis, guys like Timothy Keller, Paul David Tripp. I'm telling you, there are people out there who have written books that will help us get to know Jesus better. Take the time. There's also audible books. Listen to it if you have to. The second thing, resolve yourself to worship to know Jesus better. When we worship God, something happens in our spirit. Jesus shows us a little bit more of who he is when we open ourselves up into worship. Worship to know Jesus better. The third thing, resolve yourself to fellowship to know Jesus better. Too much of the time we think that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus by doing it alone, and it just doesn't work that way. Find a small group. Man, I'm so happy for the small group that, that me and my wife are a part of, and these families coming together, and we just enjoy time with each other. This last week, we didn't even do a study. We just spent time together. Fellowshipping with people can actually help you see Jesus a little bit more through those people. There are things that we can resolve to do. Um, but everything that we resolve to do, it should be for the one sole purpose that you and I will get to know who Jesus is a little bit better. I want to share a quick illustration that uh, a friend of mine shared at the end of one of his sermons recently. I was listening to it, and I thought it was so cool. He was talking about uh, the first astronauts, and when they went to the moon, something happened that uh, they weren't expecting. They felt like they were going there to the moon, and it was, it was all about the moon. It was all about the moon. But in truth, what happened is the pictures that they took of the earth from the moon became one of the most um, just awe-inspiring things that people have seen. There was something so spectacular about it. Uh, William Anders was an astronaut on Apollo 8, and he says, we went to Apollo 8 to explore the moon, but instead we discovered the earth. They saw the earth for the first time in a way that they had never seen it before. Another astronaut said this, earth was the only thing in all of outer space, earth was the only thing that had any color. And I want to put it out to us that that is Jesus to us. Jesus is the only thing that has any color. Everything that I, I want to resolve to do in my life to become better in some way, it should be to see Jesus a little more clearly. Jesus is the color in our world. When we read the Bible, 
Jesus is the one that brings color to it. If I'm reading the Bible and I'm not, and, and there's no desire to understand who Jesus is more, the Bible will do no good for me. In fact, the Bible outside of Jesus, minus Jesus, it's honestly just a book that helps us in our self-righteousness. Seeing Jesus brings more color to our world. How are you this, this year, how are you going to resolve to do things where you're going to know Jesus more? Resolve never to remain in the ignorance that you may have lived in yesterday. Resolve to know Jesus better today. As you read your Bible, as you fellowship, as you worship, how are you trying to know Jesus better? What are you resolving to this year for the sole purpose of growing in intimacy with your creator? I know so much of the time I, I just, intimacy is not the thing that I'm looking for. I'm looking to just get certain things done. It's time that we step back and make our relationship with Jesus the most important thing. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.